What is up, you guys? And welcome back to another episode of Berluminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And welcome back. And today we are going to be talking about the history of QAnon. Yeah, this is a kind of a big controversial thing that a lot of people are talking about. And a thing I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing that you've gotten to 2021. You don't know much about QAnon. It's, I mean, it's, I know uh, the uh, basics. Oh, good. Okay. Of it. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I basically know the Cliffs notes, but I don't know really, you know, any of the solid details about yeah it. you know yeah. i i mean i don't know who the people are and it's where it came from and all this stuff i'm just like what's QAnon? fuck that <laughs> yeah, it's probably for the best too yeah it's yeah it's a very complex subject that has a lot of different moving parts yeah and they're all kind of crappy yeah i know i've seen people coming across my facebook you know over the past couple of years that have you know, been using the hashtag QAnon and yeah. I'm with Q and, and and all that kind of stuff. And I'm always just like, what are you talking about? I don't yeah. know. I don't care. You seem like a psycho. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how you encounter QAnon people in the wild. Yeah. It's, a, it's I, I kind of came across it very early in its lifespan because I was on Reddit and really liked shit posting in different forums and I would kind of troll a lot of people there. <laughs> Are you a shit post troller? I used to be. Like okay. There was a time in my life where I was and I spent a lot of time messing with QAnon people back in the day. Yeah, I'm one of those, if I can get in a fight with you on Facebook, <laughs> I hope you're ready to get pounded into the ground by gifts because I'm going to get you with every possible gift and no matter what you say, I'm just going to come back with something that's just going to make you mad. Right. You're going to be so mad and I'm going to be laughing at your at you in your face. Yeah, and that's kind of how I always approach that stuff, you know, and I kind of looked at it as this is your entire existence and I'm just kind of messing with you. And I've gotten away yes. from it because I don't spend a lot of time online like that anymore. But right. it's, uh, yeah, it was definitely a part of my history. Yeah, I also don't like to be that negative. Correct. Yeah. It's a lot of toxic negativity to me and I'm, I just don't have time for that in my life anymore. So I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely turned a corner on that. Yeah. For sure, you know. Yeah. Uh but I think you told me before we started the episode you had some kind of yeah, intro so, to the what we're going to talk about that you wanted to read. So. Yeah, so basically setting things up, you know, the the his, today we're going to be diving into the history of QAnon, not just where it originated back in October 2017, but long before that, you know, all the way from uh, Pizzagate and Pedogate that were setting up for QAnon, but these are all just descendants of this ancient discrimination that started when one little boy died in the woods outside of Norwich, England in the 1100s, and a local nearby church leader looking for publicity on his own ended up blaming it on a group of local Jews. And yes, it's incredibly anti-Semitic, like this entire history of this, but it's more about the demonization of the others uh, to unite their group. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it's, oh, I'm surprised to hear that it, it comes from some, you know, backwater England anti-Semitic stuff. But at the same time, I mean, I'm not surprised. Lots of stuff comes from that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, it, like you're saying, it's a story as old as time. One group points a finger and unites against those people that they're pointing at. 
from these, you know, from Jews to minorities to people who like goats, you know, those that get the finger pointed at them tend to end up getting slaughtered in the end. And so today here, we're going to dive into that old blame game and how millennia of making other people seem evil gave us all of these people like Alex Jones and birtherism and where Trump came with all that stuff. And also all the way down to a big belief of QAnon, which is that Hillary Clinton's out there peeling off babies' faces and eating them. I mean, that's true. I don't, I don't know about <laughs> you, but I believe that part. There's apparently a video on the dark web that shows this. So I believe it. It's a hundred percent true. Hundred percent. You're all in on that one. Yep. All right, but first, let's uh, let's talk about. Yeah, the beers. let's talk about some beer. What are you drinking over there? All right. Well, I am drinking another North Carolina beer, like I continue to be doing mostly. <laughs> Which I'm, we're doing. I know. I just keep riding and riding the North There's Carolina beer to. train. Yeah, because there is a ton of beer here, and going through the whole library of North Carolina beer, it'd take us ten years. So we have plenty of content. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll never run out because all of these breweries are constantly putting out new stuff. So yeah, um, I mean, eventually, I guess we'll probably start getting away from North Carolina beers, try out some other stuff. But you know, right now, I just keep going for it. So today, I have getting ready for spring, which is not that far away. Probably by the time this episode is released, it'll be very close because I think it's only three or four weeks away from now, yeah. the time we're recording this. So getting ready for spring, I have the Daycation IPA from Highland Brewing, which is in Asheville, North Carolina, which I already said. It is a hoppy floral session. So this will be perfect for your early springtime through the summer drinking because it's low alcohol, high on the IPA, I guess. I'll tell you if that's true here in a minute. <laughs> but it says, take a daycation with this hop forward and complex sessionable IPA, uh, which a session for anybody who's not familiar with it just means it's that type of beer, but it's low on alcohol so that you can drink it all day and not get smashed. Uh, session, I believe they call them. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that what I said? Did you? Session. I might have missed it. Yeah. Session. Oh yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. It's called daycation, but this is a session. Like there's session pilsners and session whatever. Yeah. I, it always confuses my brain sometimes because I'm like, what's different between this and a Saison? But a Saison is totally different and I hate that kind of yeah. beer. It tastes like horrible to me. Um, <laughs> and typically I'm not that into sessions either because there's a, there's a number of them. There's a bunch of session IPAs out there yeah. where they're these low alcohol IPAs. And I always feel like they just sort of fall flat for me because for the extra 2% that I could be getting out of a normal IPA. It just comes with so much more. More flavor. In yeah. General. Yeah. And with this beer, it's not bad. It's not juiciness. <laughs> Your uh, one true love. <laughs> I know. I, I almost thought about starting this episode with, uh, what are you drinking today? I'm like, I'm drinking juiciness again. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not juiciness. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me more of like, uh, a torpedo, or if you've ever had AMB's Longleaf IPA, yeah, yeah, where 100%. it kind of has this sort of piney stank to it, like not quite weed stank, but it has this very like right. piney pine, not sap. quite dank, <laughs> yeah, not quite dank, <laughs> almost dank, yeah, 
But as opposed to it being like a juicy style IPA where it's like very citrusy and very bright, you know, like a New England would be where it's a lot of like grapefruit and orange right, and it's right. like packed with all that kind of flavor. This is on the other spectrum of like yeah. the typical IPA, you know, from um, like early 2010s, you know, when yeah. the IPs were first starting to surge and everything was just like pine bark. Yep. Like if you're drinking an IPA, it was just like yeah. pine sap flavor. Which you know? I think is a lot of people who hate IPAs is that's why. That's why, yeah, that's what they think about. They don't think about stuff like juiciness or New England's or stuff that's really citrusy and clean, yep. like orange juice beer, but not. Yep. But not. Uh, they think about this. They think about pine flavor. You know, yeah. a stinky, bitter, back of the tongue kind of jam. Very hoppy, yeah. Yeah, like Torpedo yeah. and other beers and like AMB. But I think, I think Torpedo like is like seven and a half, eight percent Yeah. Something kind of heavy. yeah. Yeah. And so for me, like this is much more of a, you know, er, when IPAs were just starting to come around, much more West Coasty, more of a malty kind of jam. But yeah, with that, like 100%. kind of early IPA pine flavor. I keep saying pine, but that's what this tastes like. It tastes right. like pine sap, um, <laughs> which I mean, here in uh, North Carolina, I mean, it's basically land of the pines and, yeah. and the oak trees. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, I walk outside, it smells like pine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Probably um, all the pine trees. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, so I definitely wouldn't say this is bad. Uh, it's not. It's just a very old school style IPA with that right. very piney kind of early IPA jam kind of flavor going on. But it is a session and with the less alcohol comes less flavor. So it is sort of a watered down-ish kind yeah. of early pine IPA kind of probably drink. less calories too. So that's in the mix of a session. You can have a bunch. Whatever. Yeah. And I mean, I'm probably not thinking about the calories here. If I was, I yeah. would be drinking Miller light or like a, like a hard seltzer. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I guess, you know what I mean? It's fine. Uh, like I'm probably not going to be running back to the store to buy some more when summertime rolls around. I'm just going to take my extra 2% and drink good juice in this. Probably. Sure. Um, I mean, to be fair, you're literally the only person I've ever seen actually drink daycation IPA. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I see it in the store every time I go to the store, but I've never seen anyone buy taking it. it from the store. Yeah. I bought this yeah. in a mixed pack from Harris Teeter. Mm. Oh, the put them all together for 10. Yeah. Yeah, because I just went through and like I was like, oh, this this IPA and this IPA. Uh, oh, I got another one of those uh, beers that I just did the like two episodes ago. I did that Wicked Weed, uh, Key Lime, oh, Cherry Blast yeah, yeah. Sour thing. Yep, Wicked Weed came out with another one. Cool. It's like passion fruit star fruit burst They're or just some doing shit. Weird shit out there. Yeah, and I saw I it, it and I was like. Ooh, the other one was so good. I should yeah. get this one and see. So in a, in a future episode, I'm going to talk about that beer, especially as we're starting to get more towards summertime. I want to do more summertime yeah. kind of beers. You so just wanna... got one. You haven't tried it yet? No, I haven't tried okay. it yet. You're holding on to it? Yeah. Um, but as we get closer to summer, I want to start doing more summery kind of beers. So I want to do some more... Um, like uh, we'll do some more sours. We'll do some more of that like summertime kind of beer, like um, a bunch of the 21st Amendment stuff. Like they have yeah. the passion fruit, um, hell or high passion fruit, yeah, or whatever, hell or high pomegranate, and they and do hell or high watermelon, hell also. or high watermelon, yeah. yeah, that was the original, and they yeah. just came out with that one, and then, um, 
like Stiegel Brewery when and uh, Germany makes a Rattler that's really good, and they have a couple of flavors of those. And like, yeah, you know, Rattlers start doing Chandlers so and yeah. stuff like that. On his Shandies, would do stuff like that, or some Fram Frambois. Yeah, you know what some I want to do is um, I'm going to bring in because we did our little stout off with the different mixed stouts. Yeah. I want to do a I want to do a mixed drink like extravaganza where we have a black and tan, a black and blue. And like a snake bite or something, and we rate them. Oh, we should do the PBR with pomegranate juice too. Yes, that's like a version of black and blue, isn't it? Like it's kind of related to that. Yes. Back to vacation though. Would yeah. you rather have the vacation IPA or a PBR? Oh, PBR. You're, yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Is like if yeah. I'm gonna have a light IPA. Might as well have like a PBR or something. Yeah. I mean, I and wouldn't go Bud Light, but I mean, yeah, I like a good PBR every once in a while. Yeah. It's weird because the more that I drink IPAs, which are heavier, when mm-hmm. I do go back to something like a full-bodied Pilsner, like a PBR, yeah, it feels very heavy and it does heavy. Yeah. It feels heavy in my tum tum, <laughs> and I would rather have yeah. a Miller Light because Miller Light's the highest sure. alcohol and the lowest calories of okay. all of the light beers. Okay, when's so, the last time you had a uh, Old English? A lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say like, a lot of years. High school, probably. <laughs> I, uh, it's been since college. <laughs> I was I was having a conversation with a couple people the other night. We were bringing up the stuff we drank in high school. Cold 45. It, well, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, real. I grew up in Florida and, and they sold a lot of 40s, but they weren't 40s. They were 32 ounces because you can't sell 40s in Florida. That seems like the opposite. Of all the things they would sell in Florida, I feel like it'd be like... 48. Very weirdly, they cut the bottle size from 40 to 32 and crime dropped. Wow. Yeah. That so, extra 8%, 8 ounces it, it of it. beer. I don't know. I mean, it's probably just caused people to go full Florida man. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it's probably not related. It was probably just what was happening in the time frame of the world at that time. Yeah. Um, there's probably no correlation, but probably yeah. not. But we were talking about like back then, high school time, early college time, we were drinking, you know, 32s of St. Ides, which if you ever had that, I don't recommend it. No. It's just malt, like gross malt liquor. And then we had OE. There was a precursor to Steel Reserve called something Snake. I can't remember what it was. Cobra Snake. King Cobra. King Cobra. That's what oh, I drink a lot of King Cobra. Really? Ugh. Yeah, especially in college. We used to drink cubes of, of Red Dog, 30-pack cubes of Red Dog. Oh, I don't. Yeah, they were they were eight ninety nine for a thirty pack. And it oh, was, damn. Yeah, it was rough stuff. It was yeah, but it was you know it's college. It's like when I was playing hockey in college, they always wanted to get like Ice House or Bush Ice or yeah. Milwaukee's Best, which we called Beast. Yeah, that's kind of when the ice version of everything came out, and it was like one percent higher. Yeah. yeah, I always thought that would be a really cool marketing scheme if Milwaukee's Best, which we all called Beast, which everybody yeah. I ever knew playing hockey called. Milwaukee's best beast. Yeah, I, I, I mean know. they did in Florida. Too. Is that is yeah. that whatever? If everybody, let me know if you've ever yeah. drank Milwaukee's best ice. If you called it Beast Ice, I think we called I feel like all that's of a thing. Best Beast. Yeah, I just think normal so. Beast sure. or Beast Ice or whatever. I think it was all Beast. I just always thought that'd be a really cool marketing play. And uh, Milwaukee's best. If you hear this episode and you do it, holla at your boy. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like they should rebrand with like a special edition box where it has like a Yeti on the front, like a snow Yeti. Yeah. And it just has beast in like huge letters and it's just like beast ice. Do it for Halloween. Yeah. Do a, It'd do be a, awesome. Do a Milwaukee's best stout 
for Halloween. Call it the Beast. Oh shit! Just get like I don't know Sierra Nevada narwhal and drop it in a can. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think that's like fourteen percent or something. But like, <laughs> yeah. please be careful, Milwaukee best drinkers. Yeah, um, and just call it the Beast. Yeah, yeah. or don't even change it. Nobody will care. Yeah, just give them the same thing. Yep. So anyway, um, yeah. So Daycation IPA. I I don't dislike it. I like I like it fine. It's fine. Yeah. If I was at a cookout at somebody's house and they had this, I'd very happily drink it. I'd be fine with it. You know, you wouldn't I'm, spit in their face or anything. No, like <laughs> it, I'm not gonna. I would drink it over torpedo. Sure. Yeah. You know. You know. There's a bunch of IPAs out there I like way worse than this. I would drink this over Longleaf. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Longleaf. Yeah, it's extremely piney. And it's very overrated. I mean, people, I think because it's big with distributors. Yeah. So it winds up at a lot of restaurants. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's fine. It's good enough. And yeah. that's probably where I'm at with it. I'm just fine with it. Yeah. I would take it over like a Heineken or something. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Like if I went to a fancy cookout and all they had was craft beers and this was there, I'd be perfectly happy. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So I on the other hand, have left North Carolina for the first time in a while, I think, and have gone all the way to Brooklyn. So where, far in the Northeast. Yes, all the, <laughs> way to, all the way to the Northeast where they are brewing a very kind of new age Northeast IPA, uh, which I am drinking called Logical Conclusion, which mixes in with our QAnon theme of people not making logical conclusions. <laughs> the logical conclusion <laughs> would be to maybe drink this beer if right. it's good. <laughs> yeah. Not do QAnon stuff. Exactly. And this is from Three's Brewing uh, out of Brooklyn. They seem to also have a location up in Clifton Park. They are a kind of an older brand. I've heard them around for a while. And this IPA comes in at 7%. Uh, kind of a cool can design with some little like Matisse thumbs up going on. Yeah, it's like a really nice royal blue can. There's thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down, yellow and orange. It's cool looking. Yeah, you got to do my color check since I'm so colorblind. Oh, that's, I didn't even <laughs> think about that, but yeah. that's right. Yeah, so the um, thumbs down is orange, the thumbs up is yellow, the, the can is royal blue. They both look the same color to me. Really? Yeah. What color do they look? They both look kind of uh, kind of a light orangish. Okay. Yeah. I just found out today I can set my phone to color correction. Really? It's like apparently a new thing on Androids. Cool. And so I can see color on my phone, but nowhere else in the world. Wow. So I have wow. to like hold my phone up when I want to see what color something is, and then I can tell what it is. Oh, wow. Is it inverse? Like my wife can't look at my phone anymore because the colors are all weird. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so anyways, yeah. So this IPA, I think it's great. It's kind of a new style, Northeastern, very hoppy. Uh Kind of, okay. a, a, you know, compared to yours, which is kind of the old school, this takes everything and just kicks that up a couple notches. All right. Very hoppy, very crisp of a taste, right. but there's like a small amount of kind of a milkshake IPA inspiration in there with the citrus. Kind of thick. Yeah, like a little you can, thick. Like a little you thick. Can, it's like a milky kind of thickness to the tongue kind of. A little bit in there. Yeah. Okay. But, but you don't get IPA tongue. I've already drank half of it while we were going on. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's nice. I like it. I'm a fan. Uh, when I picked this up at pharmacy and carry, uh, the guy told me that they kind of got this as a one time thing. They had a couple there. Uh, apparently, they came down to try to push their beers on North Carolinians. Oh, so yeah. So uh, there's a bunch of the stuff in local 
uh, bottle shops right now. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they drove a truck down and pawned it off on people. And I'm a fan. I like it. Cool. So, yeah, I would drink another one of these. Probably never see it again. So yeah, probably. <laughs> until I go to Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how I feel about every untitled art now that I know that they never come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there we go. A couple of IPAs. Not too bad. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's jump into the QAnon stuff, which I'm yeah. not sure I want to know, but learn me you on don't. it. I, okay. <laughs> I've, we've already made a mistake. Right. So we're going to start on December 4th, 2016. Uh, pretty much before any, not pretty much, way before anyone knew who Q was. Q's first drop was in October of 2017. And you know, before that, it was pretty much the development of this thing called Pizzagate, where people were convinced that Democrats were running underground child sex rings. And so, you know, I've talked about, about that guy from Salisbury a couple of times where he went up there with an AR and a pistol and was like, I'm right. going to get Hillary Clinton. She's in the basement. <laughs> so his name was Edgar Madison Welch. Yeah, that's right. And we start with him. I knew he had three names. They always he was, he names. was like a... What's another? It's like John Wilkes Booth or yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee, yep. Yeah. They always have. And then there's this guy trying to get Hillary Clinton. Edgar Madison Welch. Edgar Madison so, Welch. <laughs> while, the, <laughs> while, while the origins of QAnon are pretty recent, the history and ideas are not. They're actually pretty ancient. But let's start back on that day, December 4th. Edgar Madison Welch, a deeply religious father of two, lived in an unremarkable life in the small town of Salisbury, North Carolina. But on that Sunday morning, instead of going to church, Edgar grabbed his cell phone, a box of shotgun shells, and three loaded guns, his AR-15, a 38 Colt revolver, and his shotgun. He hopped into his Toyota Prius, which is probably not a very common car for the QAnon crowd, Prob- <laughs> That's so surprising. He grabs all these guns and then he hops into his, wait for it, Prius. Toyota Prius. <laughs> and he drove 360 miles north, probably on the same take of gas because he's in a Prius. <laughs> probably. Uh, and so he drove to Northwest Washington, D.C., uh, which is a um, kind of a fancy neighborhood of, of Washington, D.C. It's where a lot of the politicians live. Fancy pizza, fancy sex rings. Exactly. That's where they're all located. Uh, the zoo's there, which is a very nice zoo if you have a oh, chance okay. to go there. It's just, it's just a very nice neighborhood. It's all tree-lined communities. Everything's oh, okay. beautiful. Big mansions. Fancy rich people shit. Pretty much, yeah. All right. Um, compared to like Southeast DC, which is just a run-down rough place, you know, so. But it was Northwest, where all the nice stuff is, I guess. And um, Edgar Madison Welch parked his car, walked across the street with his uh, AR-15 slung across his chest, holding his revolver, and he walked through the front door of Comet Ping Pong Pizza, which has now become kind of famous with all the crowd and a lot of people who are you know knowledgeable about conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, if I ever go to D.C., I definitely want to get a slice of pizza there. Yeah, it's it's actually a cool place. I've been there a bunch of times. Oh, okay, that's good. Cool. It's, cool. Yeah, it's the the strip that it's in. There's a really good bookstore and a couple of other things. A nice coffee shop. Books, books, li- <laughs> liberals <laughs> and their books. Yeah. So you have Harry Potter there, <laughs> right? <laughs> so in this neighborhood in D.C., where you're really not allowed to have guns and or let alone walk around with them. Sure. 
Edgar crosses the street and really stood out instantly. Parents, children's employees are all completely scattering as Edgar storms through the pizzeria, ripping open doors and searching for the children being held against their will that he knew would be there hidden either in a basement or behind a locked door. Uh, he found a locked door, which his research that he did online on the internet told him was a staircase to the basement where kids were held for the sick games of Democrats like Hillary Clinton to basically have their fun with. He uh, shot open the lock with his, with his AR 15 and lo and behold, it was filled with an empty computer storage closet. He was completely devastated and Edgar immediately handed himself over to the police without any incident. He just walked away. Wow. Yeah. I thought I saw pictures. They had like, well, I mean, you're in DC. Yeah. You just shot a gun inside a pizza spot. Oh, Lots of cops showing up. You're getting face planted. Oh, yeah. Even if you walk out and you're like, my bad. I was wrong. Here's my guns. I'm yep. giving up. You, I'm sorry, but you're about to get fucked up by some cops. N- yeah. I mean, sadly to say, yes, no matter what your skin color is, you're that's going to happen in D.C. Yeah. Know? So anyways, yeah. So he went all the way to D.C. because of a conspiracy theory that we've already discussed known as Pizzagate which claimed that Hillary Clinton was running a child sex trafficking ring out of Comet Ping Pong's basement. Uh, and what Edgar sadly found out that day was that Comet Ping Pong did not even have a basement. Yeah, it, it's somewhere else. Yeah, so... It's at the um, Clinton Foundation headquarters. Or yeah, it's at yeah, one of her mansions. Yeah, somewhere. wherever it is. <laughs> um, and I mean, one of the reasons why Comet Ping Pong was a target was because they had events where they worked with like artists and artists can sometimes be weird people who paint weird things. Sure. And so people extrapolated that, oh, there's weird stuff on this artist's Instagram, and they were at this pizza place, so they must be raping or murdering children in the basement. Didn't they allege as well at some point that famous people would eat pizza here, and that was like their thing? Right. Like politicians like to eat pizza at Comet Well, because they do, because it's like the family pizza place where everybody goes in that neighborhood. It's where the rich people, the yeah. rich, you know, white politicians go to eat pizza is this place. Right. And and what we'll talk about in a second is, you know, John Podesta, who worked for Hillary Clinton as a campaign manager, and when she was in the White House with her husband, one of the things that continued to come up was he liked that place. So he would get a lot of, you know, business to them because he would have them cater things. Oh, okay. So he would, you know, they're not only bringing the pizza, they're right. bringing the kitties. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like I was saying, Pizzagate came to life in October of 2016 when WikiLeaks dropped thousands of emails stolen from former White House chief of staff and then chair to the Clinton's presidential campaign, John Podesta. Comet Ping Pong, a known local spot for local politicians and their families in the area, was mentioned a few times in this gigantic stack of emails. So they basically just saw these emails and was like, oh, this place is mentioned a few times. That's where it is. Right. And they just kind of grabbed it and made shit up. Yeah. And there was a couple things in there when you tear into the emails of mentions of kind of weird things like a pizza-related map. And it was actually a handkerchief, you know, with some pizza designs on it. And that must have meant something because... Yeah. Cheese pizza and child pornography both start with C and a P, you know? Oh, oh man. Yeah. Those were kind of the, those were the kind of connections that were being made. So they're just kind of reaching for stuff. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, which is not unusual for 
you know, the Alex Jones InfoWars crowd. Right. You know, these people take one little thing that looks kind of odd and they blow it up into this whole thing. Right. So while these emails were mostly about these fundraising events, high profile pro Donald Trump figures such as Mike Cernovich and Alex Jones began advancing this claim, which originated in the most trollish corners of the internet, like 4chan, 8chan. And then they started spreading to more accessible places like Twitter and YouTube that these emails were proof of ritualistic child abuse with nothing to back it up. So some conspiracy theorists asserted that it was taking place in this non-existent basement over at Comet Ping Pong and references in the emails to pizza or pasta were interpreted as code words for girls and little boys because CP was said to mean not only Comet Ping Pong, but also child porn and cheese pizza. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, ironclad uh, proof there, guys. Yeah, exactly. Like deep, <laughs> deep hard-hitting investigative journalism. Right. Uh, and so shortly after Trump's election, as Pizzagate just started spreading like wildfire, Edgar began just binge-watching conspiracy theory videos on YouTube. He was just completely consuming everything he could find. And they went back and looked through his history and they started watching his evolution of what he watched. And several times he attempted to recruit help from at least two separate people to carry out what he considered a vigilante raid. Uh, and he texted these people about his desire to, to sacrifice the quote lives of a few for the lives of the many and to fight a quote corrupt system that kidnaps, tortures, and rapes babies and children in our own backyard. DC's not the backyard of Salisbury, North Carolina, but yeah, this guy actually felt inspired to help. You yeah. Know? He thought something horrible was happening. Yeah. And I mean, this is why I've always taken kind of pity on these people. Sort of, not not exactly pity, but like why I've always felt it's weird on both ways. So I pity them, but at the same time, I think like if you actually believe that there's a satanic cabal of people peeling babies' faces off and all you're doing is posting memes on Twitter, what is that? Like why are you doing that? You know, right. I feel like grabbing a gun and going somewhere would be a likely conclusion of right. there are babies being murdered, you know? Right. Like right now, if like if we had a sign that your next door neighbor was killing a child, it would be a millisecond before we were banging on that door, you know? Sure. So it's just, it's bizarre to me that they have all this quote unquote evidence of these things happening and the most they do is post on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So when Edgar finally found himself inside this restaurant and he had the very sad, very real revelation that comic ping pong was just a pizza shop he immediately set down his firearms and walked out the door and surrendered to the police who had by then completely secured the whole perimeter. And in probably the biggest understatement of ever, Edgar told someone the intel on this was not a hundred percent. It seems like I might've uh, not been entirely right here, guys. <laughs> yeah. I may have misread some of this information. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Edgar sincerely believed that these children were being held at Comet Ping Pong and his family and friends wrote letters to the judges on his behalf, describing him as a dedicated father, devout Christian, and a man who went out of his way to care for others. Edgar trained as a volunteer fighter fighter. He had gone to Haiti for earthquake response missions with his local Baptist Men's Association, where he was literally digging people out of the rubble and helping them. A, uh, a friend from his church wrote a letter saying that 
He exhibits all the actions of a person who strives to learn biblical truth and apply it. Edgar himself expressed what seems like genuine remorse, saying in a handwritten note submitted to the judge by his lawyers that he, and this is him, quote, it was never my intention to harm or frighten innocent lives, but I realize now just how foolish and reckless my decision was. Again, another huge understatement. Yeah. Uh, He got four years in prison. I mean, so he's out now, but yeah, uh, that's wild to me that he is just 100 convinced that this happened. You know, does that seem like a light sentence to you, a heavy sentence or pretty correct? I feel like four years is probably a spot on sentence for that situation, but I think he should have gotten several years of mental therapy tacked onto the beginning or end of that, you know? Yeah. Because clearly he isn't able to discern reality from fiction. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this is part of the question that I think we've kind of been asking continually through the show as we talk about this information disseminating itself across social media is when they try and make these arguments so convincing and like we have the, the data it's true, it's real, you know, and they basically feed this information to people and say, this is what's happening. We have the proof. This is where they're doing it. They basically give people all of this information as if it's true, right? Not that it's not, true or that it's fiction, that it is true. And people believe it. That's why there is an entire QAnon movement because people read this stuff on 8chan and 4chan and Reddit and whatever, and they didn't think that it was, uh, you know, not real. Right. I mean, and two of the main tenets of kind of following along with QAnon is there's two main sayings and one of them is basically the whole fake news thing, you know? So yeah, not only is CNN fake, they're also evil. You know, Anderson Cooper was the son of a, of a wealthy elite person and, you know, he was a Vanderbilt. So clearly he's part of the elitist cabal and is trash, you know? Yeah. So fake news. Right. Uh, the other side of it is another, another QAnon saying is we are the news now. So you are the news now. So they're basically saying anyone can be the news, but established news is all fake. Yeah. So something you see on 4chan is to be held as truth while old school news, New York Times, all that stuff, those are kitty rapists and they're lying to you. Yeah. So it's this very weird dichotomy where they're basically setting you up for this kind of mindset. Right. You know, and you see it happen all the time and you know, one of my favorite examples of the whole QAnon thing is uh, there was some point where Trump was flying to North Korea when he went there and he, you know, crossed the DMZ and did all these things. And during all of that, QAnon was actively promoting this idea that the Democrats, led by Nancy Pelosi, were launching uh, ICBMs out of a nuclear submarine in Seattle to shoot down Air Force One. And frame it on the North Koreans. Right. And, or, or the Russians, if it was traveling over Russia or something like that. But just, I mean, the sheer nonsense of one f- firing an ICBM out of a Democrat owned submarine is just weird. I mean, do you really think 
Hillary Clinton doesn't have her own submarine with ICBMs in it? It's possible. But I, mean, I feel like Seattle wouldn't be the place to leave it. The U.S. government has lost something like 39 nuclear weapons. That is true. Bro- broken arrows, is that what they call them? Uh-huh. Yeah. They're just missing. Right. They're all in Hillary Clinton's submarine. <laughs> in her Seattle-based <laughs> yeah. ICBM firing submarine. Yeah. Which, it's possible. Sure, it's possible. Why not? You know? I believe it. I just made that up, and it's 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> I just you, talked myself into it. You are the news now. I am the news. This is the news. But <laughs> I think a more interesting question is the idea of a and and I'm not making up that that this was a thing being said online. They were actually saying an inter- intercontinental ballistic missile was being fired at Air Force One. Now, if you look at those two things as an idea, an intercontinental ballistic missile travels at like 13, 14,000 miles an hour, something along those lines. Sure. And is designed to go up into the atmosphere and then come back down and explode. Uh, above land, right. not to hit a thing. That's a surface-to-air missile. Right. And so... Air Force One is a, I don't know what, Boeing 747 or something maybe? I don't know. Yeah. It's a big plane. Yeah. It travels. It has internet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's got its own Wi-Fi and uh, it travels at, you know, 600 miles an hour. Sure. So, I mean, you aren't going to hit a 600 mile per hour traveling airplane with a 13, 14,000 mile per hour traveling international. It's not going to work unless you just like blow up a gigantic portion of a country and hope that the airplane was flying in that area at the time. Yeah. I mean, it'd be much more realistic if we were talking about something like an air to air missile, a surface to air missile, something that's designed to basically shoot down a plane. Yeah. Right. Because those missiles also travel extremely fast, but they're not, but they're gigantic ICBMs (laughs) that are designed to go up into the atmosphere, come back down and detonate a nuke a mile above the ground. Yeah. Right. That's not how that works. Right. And I mean, if you're this all powerful cabal that can own a submarine filled with 36 missing broken arrow missiles. Sure. Wouldn't it just be easier to like slip some poison into a diet Coke on some level? Like if you're some ryosin, right? Like if you own everything in the background and they're fighting to keep you down. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it'd be easier to put a little Iocane powder and Donald Trump's something, uh, Big Mac or something. Yeah, it'd be very, I mean, you know, plus, I mean, if Hillary Clinton has a sub, she definitely has at least one fighter jet. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, absolutely. And probably like not even a US one, probably like a North Korea one or a MIG or something, like something that you can disguise. Yeah. Never been seen, but definitely exists. Right. Right. (laughs) Probably flown by like NASA super soldiers that she controls. Oh, yeah. I mean, why not? That's it. They probably have. Hapkido training or something interesting, you know? Yeah. Throw them out of a jet. They Hapkido the other plane and it goes down. That's how it works, right? Yeah. They fly through the air. They karate <laughs> chop the plane. Hapkido. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, the ICBM thing is just not likely. Right. To me. And the, there's the, so many other better, smarter, more intelligent ways that aren't yeah. like a 90s Harrison Ford movie. Right, exactly. That would make way more sense. And the way the uh, the submarine thing gained traction was because there was a um, bay in Seattle where there was a webcam that shot pictures every like two or six minutes or something. And one of the pictures, they caught a helicopter shining its spotlight down on something. 
uh-huh. and the picture does actually look like a missile being shot out okay. of the water, but it's not. But yeah, it turned out to be like a police helicopter looking for something and it was all very easily provable and you know. Yeah. Plus I, I have to think about it like this. I know for a fact <laughs> that Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation are the most sophisticated network of global <laughs> assassins ever uh, created. So why would they shoot an ICBM at Donald Trump's plane when she has the power of the Clinton Foundation's group of global <laughs> assassins at her disposal and they could easily just whack him somewhere and are, make it look like an accident. Are they the ones that like can bend bullets? Angelina like wanted? Yeah, is that is that <laughs> them? They're like this ancient, they lay in the mud and they heal themselves? No. Oh. No, the a Lazarus pit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not like that. So I did kind of joke just then, but there is a conspiracy theory (laughs) out there about this whole thing where anytime anyone has ever gotten close to trying to stick something against the Clintons, that person mysteriously dies. We should do a Clinton body count episode because... Yeah, and that's basically what I'm talking about. Yeah. the Clinton body count. I remember years ago, my uncle gave me a piece of paper that was like the Clinton body count. This was in like 98. Yeah. And he handed me this piece of paper and it was a list of people who were just old, you know, who were just <laughs> like, old. They're just old and they died. Like it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't people going after the Clintons. I mean, some of them were, but they were also 96 years old and, you know, ate chicken wings every day. Sure. You know, so it, the, the Clinton body count is really fascinating. So once you start digging into some of these people, some of them did commit suicide in very strange ways, mm-hmm. but they were also had, 20 years worth of very serious, you know, bipolar disorder behavior in their background, you know? Okay. So I definitely believe that. Yeah, they exactly. didn't doctor the file Likely to story. say that. Yeah, yeah. They definitely had this mental illness. They didn't. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of very weird ones where like dudes shot themselves in the front of the chest three times to commit suicide and yeah. How does that, you know, so there's some weird stuff there. We can, we could do a whole episode and dig into that and it would probably be funny. I want to now. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. Um, so anyways, after one of the funniest things about poor Edgar is he, uh, he went up there and you know, this dude, he's kind of a sympathetic figure. Like he, I believe I 100% believe that he thought he was going to go there, shoot open a door find a bunch of little babies with their faces half eaten off and adrenochrome like uh, uh, plates running out of the back of their head. Yeah. And I think he thought he was going to do that. And he was going like, oh, Hillary, like and start like there's Bill start shooting at him. Yeah. And drag the kids out to safety. Yeah. And then everybody would like high five and clap and throw $100 bills at him. Like I really think he think he thought that. I mean, he was texting people saying, please help me do this. And they were like, Edgar, you're off your meds. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, but his only meds were the Bible and the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Know? So, well, um, I mean, the thing about this too is, if it had been true, he would be a hero. He'd be a, he'd be a rock star. This but guy. it wasn't true, right? And yeah. so now he's a crazy person. Yeah. Now he has to go to jail. <laughs> That's right. You know. Um. But the funniest part about it is, the minute he got arrested, everyone in the entire PizzaGate forums, all of that stuff instantly turned their back on him. They were all like, he is a crisis actor. He is fake. He clearly works for the CIA. 
<laughs> and he is obviously a fake crisis actor who is going up there to make us look crazy. And just, I can't imagine the poor heartbreak of Edgar who really thought he was going there to save people. And then all of the people who talked him into this bullshit. Yeah. He thought he was tight. He thought they were his homies. They instantly are like, you are an actor. We don't know him. We hate you. We don't know you, <laughs> you know, and then he has to go sit in jail for four years because he shot a pizza place. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised he didn't hang himself. I mean, it, oh, well, yeah. Hey, I'm using yeah. giant Ep- air quotes himself, right yeah. now. Yeah, and you did the eyebrows. Yeah. Hang himself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it was true and if nobody, if he went inside that pizza shop and suddenly nobody knows what happened for 10 minutes. Yeah. And then he got arrested and hung himself like, you know, that'd be weird. That'd be something. But yeah. this guy literally is like, oh God, all I found was a cashier box. I never wish anything bad on anybody, but. How ridiculous would it be if that had happened? I know it'd be crazy. That would be crazy. Yeah. So because everybody turned their back on him and and all of the pizza gay people were like, maybe we took it a little too far. If these guys are going to shoot places up, it did seem to fade a little bit. And uh, some of its most visible proponents, such as Jack Pasebic, who's a crazy conspiracy theorist. And uh, now he's a correspondent for the for pro Trump uh, news network OANN. Uh, he backed off of it. He was like the loudest speaker on it and facing the specter of legal action by uh, Alephant- James Alphantis, who's the owner of Comet Ping Pong. Alex Jones actually went on air and completely apologized for it, said that it was all made up. He didn't he didn't think it was a real thing and he really hasn't mentioned it since then, um, which is pretty bizarre for Alex Jones. Yeah, he usually can't let shit go. No, definitely not. I mean, he's been talking about the same documents from the 90s. Since the nineties, um, <laughs> right? You know, we're talking about like the history of QAnon, and we're going to get into that right now. And this is going to be a two-part episode. And so the first part is going to be the history, where it came from, where all these ideas of how people go after each other came from, and then the second part we're going to be talking about the effects of mental health on all of that. Okay, I didn't realize we were cutting it in two parts. Yeah, we are. So, uh, so the second part, yes, we are doing that. And, <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> so, <laughs> when we talk more about um, the mental health aspect, we're going to kind of put a bookend on both of these things. And so, the first we've got poor Edgar, and then the second we've got a, we've got another example of a of a QAnon person who took things too far. Okay, so there's lots more examples of this kind of thing, but these are just the two that we're using. Oh yeah, there's endless examples. So okay, like, okay, these are these are the two we're going to kind to show the history of it, how it formed, and then the uh, the mental health aspects and how it can make you kind of crazy. Okay, got it. So back to the history part. Uh, there is a very deep history with all this QAnon stuff, Pizzagate, Pedogate stuff. And it goes back to things like the satanic panic and moral panic of the 70s and 80s, uh, which goes back to the history of blood libel, things like witch hunts, McCarthyism. And uh, a lot of these major events are direct ancestors of Pizzagate. And it stems from this kind of religious panic over the unknown that coincides with real life issues. So that brings us back to uh, the idea of blood libel, which uh, blood libel is the belief that that Jewish people kill children and literally put the blood in their matzah. And this is like, yeah, this is a really wide known idea and it stems back to the 1100s and it's been a big enough widespread enough piece of misinformation that 
countries have literally banned Jews from living in their countries because of this sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And so there's a lot of other aspects to it. We're going to focus on the blood libel part, but there's a lot of other things like, you know, Jewish people being more involved in baking, uh, baking, <laughs> baking the matzah <laughs> full of blood. Baking. <laughs> the, uh, no, being more involved in bake, banking because a lot of these countries that were imposing these limits wouldn't allow Jewish people to own property. So they had to find other ways to build wealth and do these other things. So banking became a very Jewish kind of tradition. Oh, okay. And there was also some Christian things about charging interest and all this other stuff, but it gets, that goes down a whole different road. We're going to stick with the blood level stuff. So uh, the very beginning of all this uh, was in England in 1144. And the Jews of Norwich, which Norwich is a little town in England, uh, were falsely accused of ritual murder after a boy, William, was found stabbed to death outside of the city in the woods. Thomas of Monmouth, a local Christian leader, falsely claimed that every year there's an international council of Jews that meet to choose the country in which a child will be killed during Easter. In 1144, England was chosen, and the leaders of the Jewish community delegated the Jews of Norwich to perform this ritual killing. This guy pulled all of that right out of his ass. Just completely made it up. Straight out of his butthole. You should have read a book. Yeah, seriously. You probably would have got better. play, I guess, at that point. <laughs> <laughs> a scroll, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he went door to door telling this story, and it, and it worked. Like, people got really worked up and freaked up about it. And so this popped up a few times around England during the 1100s and the amount of death and destruction that resulted from this one dude telling this stupid story is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, I mean, hundreds of Jews were killed during this whole time frame. They were arrested, charged, locked in jail forever. I mean, the, the count is in the hundreds, close to the thousands. So in 1255, 100 years later, a eight-year-old boy named Hugh uh, disappeared at Lincoln in England also. Uh, his body was discovered in a well uh, in August of 1255. A uh, Jewish man named Copen confessed to the involvement of it, and he confessed to a man named John of Lexington, a servant of the crown. He was basically like a deputy, and he was related to the Bishop of Lincoln. So word starts going up the line, and Copen claimed to have confessed that the boy had been crucified by Jews who had assembled at Lincoln for that specific purpose, once again going back saying that they were this ancient council and they chose this boy in England. And um, the real belief at the time frame was that Copen probably killed the boy alone and made a larger confession saying that all the Jews did it so that he wouldn't be killed. King Henry III came down and got to Lincoln at the beginning of October of that year and he immediately had Copen executed. He walked right in the door and was like, this guy's done. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Killed him right off the bat. And then uh, Henry III rounded up 91 other Jews who lived in the area and shipped them to Lincoln where 18 of them were immediately executed. Damn. The rest were pardoned at the uh, begging of the Franciscans, uh, like a local religion. And by 1290, uh, not long after that, the entirety of England banned Jews from 1290 to 1657. Just wow. No Jewish people allowed at all. Wow. Just kicked them all out, which is crazy. It's like that is crazy. Yeah. So a bunch of countries have done that and it's absolutely bizarre. You know, Spain did at one point. There's a, a bunch of smaller countries that have done it and it goes back to this. There's this thing we don't fully understand and we're mildly afraid of it. 
So we're putting together a story and going after it. And that story that this one dude told built up steam enough that a hundred years later, Jews were banned from England and thousands have been killed. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. It's, and this dude was just trying to like make some shit up to, yeah, just to stir shit up. He's just yeah. like, yeah, Jews must have killed that boy over there. Yeah. Eleven like, hundreds uh, shit posting. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's also probably like a 10% chance that that guy killed that kid and used it to cover his own tracks, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's possible. Allegedly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't get sued by this guy's family. Um, so, you know, these stories also extend to further down the road of, you know, the Salem witch trials and I really don't want to get too much into the Salem witch trials here because I want to do a big episode on this because it's one of my favorite things. I had an ancestor executed in the really? Salem witch trials. Yeah, I have oh, pictures of her and stuff. Okay, we got to get into that. Yeah. It, it's one of my favorite things. But yeah. just for the sake of this, here's like a quick rundown. In, uh, in 1692, there were a couple of young girls that most likely had ergot poisoning from eating bad rye bread. And they claimed to have been possessed by the devil and accused a ton of local townswomen of being witches. A month later, they hung the first woman, Bridget Bishop, in Salem. The panic ended up getting more than 200 men, women, and children accused of witchcraft, and 20 ended up getting hung on the local hillside. Uh, It was complete panic born out of fear and misunderstanding. Again, same thing, people telling stories and people getting slaughtered over it. Yep. So it's, like I said, we'll dig into that a little bit more. Uh, But moving way forward into the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we had this thing called the satanic panic, which was basically there was this kind of movement where suddenly a lot of kids were throwing around accusations of being uh, sexually abused by strangers. People were having memories of being sexually abused by strangers. And there was this whole kind of surgence of it. It was happening everywhere. You know, these, these articles kept coming up. And so in the seventies, women started returning to the workforce in large numbers This is kind of the background of it and left their kids in the hands of strangers, creating this cultural and we that was capitalized on by a few grifters that created a bad situation altogether. And it just got worse from there. So there was a book called Michelle remembers written by a woman named Michelle Smith and her husband combined. He was a co-author, this psychiatrist named Lawrence Pazder. It was published in 1980. Now fully discredited, the book was written in the form of an autobiography presenting the first modern claim that child abuse was linked to satanic rituals. And this wasn't just, you know, some kids are abused and it's probably linked. This was all childhood abuse is due to satanic rituals. This was like this big widespread thing. Wow. And they were pointing fingers at everybody. And so the pastor, the author, the psychiatrist was also responsible for coining the term uh, ritual abuse. The book provided a model for numerous allegations of satanic ritual abuse that ensued later in the same decade. On the basis of the book's success, Pazder developed a high media profile giving lectures and trainings uh, about satanic ritual abuse to law enforcement. And by September of 1990, he had acted as a consultant on more than a thousand legal cases of satanic ritual abuse, including the McMartin preschool trial, which was like one of the biggest trials of all time. This book was later just completely debunked, but for, for decades after it was written, uh, they remained experts even after it was debunked. So wow, these people who wrote a completely fake book were still going on Oprah and, and Dr. Phil saying like, you know, Beelzebub did it. 
and pointing fingers. This is why we can't have nice things. Pretty much. I mean, it stems down <laughs> to this all, all the damn time. Yeah. Um, so the trial I mentioned, the McMart- McMartin preschool trial, was this uh, was this huge trial in the 80s uh, out of Los Angeles, so Manhattan Beach, where there was a bunch of school children, not school children, it was like a daycare, and the people at the daycare were accused of these satanic ritual abuses. And they were asking these kids questions like, like, hey, what uh, what happened when you were there? And the kids would say things like, oh, well, the woman flew in on a broomstick and then touched me. And they would, like, push them to say weirder things. And the police, who had been trained by this jerk who wrote the stupid book before, the police would be trained by them and say, like, oh, well, you know, were they wearing pointy hats? Were they, like, spreading blood around? And the kids would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, there was lots of blood, blood everywhere. And... <laughs> You know, because they were le- they were leading them, one hundred percent, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, these trials ran for years and years and years, and and like the this big one lasted for seven years and resulted in zero convictions, and all charges were dropped by the nineteen nineties, and by the case's end, it was the longest and most expensive trial in American history, and still is to this day. Wow. Yeah. So does it say here how? You said seven years. Yeah. Does does it say anywhere how expensive it was? No, it just said, it, it, I mean, yes, you could probably find that number somewhere. It was in like the hundreds of millions range probably. Holy crap. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's just the biggest of all time ever and still is. And I mean, think about all the big cases that came up after that, you know? Yeah. Like I mean, OJ. I'm thinking like R. Kelly. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so there was a bunch of different of these types of cases of daycares that were being prosecuted. And it was almost like an epidemic. Like people were thinking like, if I take my kid to a daycare, which I have to do because now we're a dual working household and I'm not a stay at home mom anymore. So I have to find someone to look after my kid. Now there's a 50 50 shot. They're going to get raped by a Satan worshiper, you know, and it was this thing that spread and people started believing it because yeah. yeah so parents would get training on how to ask their kids about this happening. And so the parents would go and be like, Hey, is a guy with horns touching you in your special spot? And these kids will be like, yeah, sure. That's happening. Oh, also <laughs> there's blood everywhere, you yeah. know? And so like, what are you going to do as a parent? So there was this other huge case out of Kern County where uh, this, these, this woman's sons claimed to have been abused, even though, even though there was no physical evidence at all. And the trial went on and the owners of the daycare were convicted and given a combined sentence of a thousand years in prison. There was zero evidence. There was only the kid's testimony, and that got these people a thousand years in prison. Holy shit. And so from 1984 until 1996, the owners of this daycare just sat in prison uh, and were probably huge targets because they're like, oh, those are the dudes who satanically abuse children. Right. Which, as we know, prisoners are not fond of, you know, kitty rapists. Sure. Yeah. So not the most popular in the playground. No. <laughs> so 1996 rolls around and the FBI had done like a huge review of this case and they were like, oh, sorry, no real evidence. You're free to go. And they just let him go. Awesome. Um, yeah. And there were six other cases where there was a combined something like 5,000 years in prison handed down to these people who own these daycares and all of those people were let go with no charges. Just sorry, we kind of got worked up and hung hung you up to dry and burned you at the stake. 
you know? Yeah, figuratively. Figuratively. Although a thousand years in prison versus burning at the stake kind of, you know. Burn me. Right, right. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. During whole, this whole time frame, a bunch of other books came out uh, similar to the Michelle Remembers book, and all of them were debunked, every single one of them across the board. You know, they would do things where, like, the daughter would say th- things like, yeah, when I was five, my dad sold me to this guy who owned a hotel and I was locked in the hotel and forced to like drink blood out of cups and all this stuff. And she would spin these big stories. She or he or whoever would spin these big stories. And then at the end of the day, when they started digging into it and go to look up the hotel or what's happening on with this stuff, none of the stories made sense. You know, these kids were just unreliable narrators and being pushed to say things. Yeah. And there was a lot of money in selling these books. So most sure. of the books would be a, you know, crappy shrink teaming up with some kid and then putting this book out and they would make a ton of money and then it would get debunked. But when a book gets debunked, it doesn't go around all the news or anything. There's been this, right. you know, wide selling book. These people still get to go on Dr. Phil. Goes on fucking Oprah's yeah. whatever list and... I guess she takes it back off the list, but then never says, oh yeah, by right. the way, I put this book on here and made y'all all read it and believe yeah. everything they said, but by the way, it was bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you do a whole show based on like the, how amazing it is, but then you just put up on a website somewhere that it was debunked. You're not doing a whole yeah. show how it was debunked. Right. So people can, it's the same thing with newspaper corrections. You know, yeah. a cover story says, you know, John wiped his butt in public and everybody saw it. And then page 26, like, Sorry, we looked at it again. John doesn't even have a butt, you know. So <laughs> <Yeah>. it's <laughs> so the the media hype around this and the scary story that people believe, uh, they grasped onto it because these were the same people that were sending their children away every single day while they went to work, and it just created this perfect breeding ground for these horrible stories. The holy debunk narrative is why people are afraid to let their kids walk down the street alone today. You know, when I was a kid. My parents would lock me out of the house and send me out all day. Now, I wouldn't let my kid walk one door down without keeping an eye on her, you know? And it's just, yeah, it's part of that fear that was built into our brains. Yeah. And I mean, chances are it's no more dangerous now. Or anything is probably less dangerous. It's it's less dangerous now. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the numbers of who's being kidnapped, who's being abused, most of the time it's family members almost across the board always. Yeah. It's like anytime somebody gets murdered, they almost, the first thing they do is like, who wears the spouse? Right. And there's a reason they do that. Like yeah. it's, it's not like it's for <laughs> right. fun. Right. You know, it's because that's usually the case. Yeah. It's like, um, there's this one story that I always continually hear or that my wife has watched. There's a bunch of documentaries about it. That's yeah. what it is. And it keeps coming across like they keep making new versions of the same documentary where they keep talking about this same guy. And I can't remember who it is, but basically the story is this guy's family just disappears. And he's like, I mean, I don't know where they are. They just disappeared. I don't know. And um, he murdered them and put their bodies in giant oil tanker canisters out in the middle of some giant prairie somewhere where did they go yeah and, <laughs> yeah and like it's if like that kind of thing. we could find them yeah and they immediately were looking at him and everybody's yeah. like no he's the nicest dude he's the sweetest dude best dad nope 
this dude killed everybody. Yeah. And put him in oil tanks. Look at those two kids that like shotgun murdered their parents and then were like, we don't know who did it. Yeah. Uh, the Manette was a Menendez brothers. Is that who it was something like that? I don't know what you're talking. Yeah. About. Oh, it was, it was, I think it was yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s. These two kids just literally walked up to their parents who were sleeping in bed and shotgun murdered them. Oh, damn. And then were later like, yes, I mean, we happen to be covered in blood, but we totally did not kill these people. So when I have kids, I'm definitely locking my bedroom door now. Thank you. <laughs> and and your guns lock all of it up. You know, oh, it is. Don't let all them anywhere near locked you. Up. <laughs> so this was all building from the 80s to the 90s. And the 80s, unfortunately, saw like, I mean, while we were getting big hair and like Kuntashes and Testarosas, yeah. we, we were also getting the shit scared out of us because it was the rise of AIDS. Uh, you know, we started putting kidnap victims all over milk cartons. So that was like this constant in your face reminder that people were getting kidnapped and that had that wasn't happening before, you know? Yeah. Plus they had this whole new level of like scary movies like Lost yeah. Boys and stuff and all that. Yeah. And I mean, it's like starting to go in, which was an amazing movie, by the way. It is an amazing movie. But look at 1982. There were the, the Tylenol murders where that dude snuck into grocery stores and started putting poison in Tylenol containers. And then people started taking Tylenol and they would just drop dead. Damn, I didn't know that one. You didn't know about this? Yeah, you're <laughs> blowing me up right now. Like I keep thinking like <laughs> razor blades and Halloween candy. People. Which is false. <laughs> but the Tylenol murder is real. So well, like people licking ice cream at the grocery stores is real. That's probably real. <laughs> but the Tylenol murder is why they have the seals on Tylenol now. So if you open I mean, that's it, probably why they have the seals on everything. on everything. Yeah, that's why everything is sealed now. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's like everything else. Like a couple of people have to die before they put up a stoplight. It's the same thing with yeah people murdering each other over Tylenol. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same thing as like why are there child safety caps on everything? Right, because little kids I mean? eat the stuff and die. You know? Yeah, some kid had to die for that to happen. Yeah, I, I I looked over at my daughter the other day and she had emptied out a bottle of like gummy vitamins, and of course, it's the only bottle in the entire house without a child safety cap on it. Right. And that's the one that somehow she got out of a cabinet and dumped on the ground. You know, uh, it's vitamins. Yeah. I mean, it's, knock it's, yourself uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> and they're gummy. How many could she get down before I noticed? <laughs> sure, <right. laughs> I mean, you never know though. Yeah. I don't know. So the, uh, the, tr- you were talking about razor blades and apples, you know, this yeah. was, this was prime time about, it. I mean, they were, they were saying like, you're going to get edibles in, in your candy. Ain't, yeah. Ain't nobody handed over their expensive, edibles pot edibles to some kid and that they're not even going to like. I mean the whole and having it get to laugh at it. Yeah, the whole fun of like getting somebody else high is watching <laughs> like watching it happen. You know? Right. I mean, don't get other people high. It's yeah, it's but I mean, I remember being a kid and my parents being like, all right, we have to look through all of your Halloween candy yeah. and make sure all of the wrappers are sealed and yeah, you know you my I remember my mom like going through our candy. They checked all of the wrappers to make everything was good. Anything that looked weird. They pulled it out and threw it away. And we never kept the apples or the popcorn balls. Oh, My which parents was probably, were always like, that's where the razor blades are. <laughs> we're taking those and putting them in the trash. No, and I mean, those are probably the safe, safest ones. The reason that was all happening and your parents were doing that is because of their age. In yeah. 1984, there was a dude named Ronald Clark O'Brien who was the only person basically in history to be convicted of killing kids with Halloween candy. And he was like, super publicly executed for killing kids in 1984. <laughs> you know, so people figured out they don't 
they're not doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> not it, like there's not a lot of people doing it. There's this one dick named Ronald in 1984 who did it, and he got put to death. And it was all over the newspapers for half the half the 80s. See, that's the thing about executions. Yeah, they are effective. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't have a dog in that fight, but it's like it they can be effective. I agree. Sure. Uh, and another part of the 80s is there was this spree of scary killer clowns that were trying to kill children. That's like an actual thing. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a story on that one, actually, because I don't know a lot about it. I just kind of like read a paragraph and it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I need to know more about it was this literally one. a sentence that said scary killer clowns were preying on children and I started looking into it a little bit and it wasn't this weird thing that happened a couple of years ago where there were people dressing up like clowns standing in dark fields. You remember that? That's vaguely. Yeah, this was actually clowns trying to kill people and not All like right. the nice killer clowns from outer space. You Those are not nice. No, they're not. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie? No. Oh, okay. Isn't that an old movie? It's like a 60s movie or something? Uh, early 80s, I think. Okay. Yeah, but it's good. Okay. We'll have so, to check it out one time. <laughs> so exactly each of these outbreaks of social unrest that freaked out parents signaled Americans growing alarm over the whole stranger danger and the fear that a terrifying unknown evil is lurking right around the corner. So people panicked because one little thing happens, two little things happen and they start blaming other people, you know? So yeah, well, plus the media out here and blows it up and yeah, then terrifies everybody because that's how they make money. You know, yeah. So it leads you to a to a very real question: Is there really abuse happening? You know, and I mean, the answer is yes. Yes, there is. There absolutely is. But it's definitely not at the hands of Satanists or all these other things. And while I'm sure, well, you know, we know the the Night Stalker and these other a couple other people were actually Satan worshippers and these things, and that did yeah. kind of happen. You know, sure. Um, there I mean, the bad ones are out there, right? It, it's probably like most things. Like I'm yeah. sure there are not good Jews. I'm sure there are not good Christians. Yeah. I'm sure there's not good people of every religion. Yeah, of course there has to be. There are also good Satanists and bad Satanists. Yeah. It's just another religion. Yeah. Most of them are probably super nice and would love to bake you a cake with a pentagram on top. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, I was listening to Joe Rogan interview somebody. It was like somebody that worked for the FBI or the CIA or something. And he kind of flat out asked him this weird question of how many monsters are there really out there? You know, how many guys are out there with people tied up in their basement? You know, how many people are out there carving people up? Yeah. And the guy's like probably about a hundred. And it's like, okay, so there's 50 states. So there's two dudes in each state. Yeah. How big are the states? I don't know. Well, How big is their hunting ground? The two in Rhode Island probably know each other. Sure. It's like <laughs> Delaware. Those guys, those guys have lunch all the time. Yeah. You know, but California, those guys aren't talking California. No, nah, they're way far apart. No, they're so, probably half of them are in California. Right. Weirdos. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a weird thing. Like there are monsters out there, but there were not thousands of they're of not everywhere Satanists carving people up yeah, right they're not on every corner they're not on every street they're not yeah and I that's mean, the it, fear you know there could be one down the road from you the chance is so small though yeah yeah it's true you know 
the uh, the Department of Justice in 1992 thoroughly debunked the whole myth of the ritualistic satanic sex abuse cult that was spreading. But though accusations of satanically motivated child abuse rituals had pretty much died out by the mid-90s, law enforcement continued to treat Satan as a potential criminal indicter, as was evident in their ridiculous 1994 police training video, The Law Enforcement Guide to Satanic Cults, which is on YouTube and you should look up and it is crazy. Sounds like a really great watch. It is straight up a dude walking cops through how to spot satanic ritual abuse. And this guy is kind of wandering through the woods and pointing out like anarchy symbols on trees and saying, you know, this is probably where a woman was tied up and killed. And it's just really random stuff and it doesn't make any sense. And it's really just people grifting the police. Like they're just ripping them off. Yeah. This reminds me of that uh, driver's ed video that everybody's watched blood on the highway. Right. Which was that even real or was that like a joke people made up? No, I I think we watched it. Really? I I mean, I feel like Like, I don't, I I feel like it's long enough ago now that I don't remember whether it was a joke and I like saw it on TV one time or we actually did watch a video called blood on the highway. I mean, they showed us that they showed us in high school that video where like if you smoke pot, you're going to go crazy and kill your family. Yeah. And man, I don't remember the name of it, but it's going to make you gay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it'll make you gay, make you kill everyone around you. And it's like, oh, no, it's, you know, come on. So pretty much across the board, people were claiming all this uh, uh, satanic ritual abuse. And the reality is. It's, it's not out of there. So when you break down the numbers, according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, around 800,000 children are reported missing each year in the United States. That's roughly 2,000 per day. That's kind of an interesting number that we need to break down a little bit. This number represents a single report of a missing child. That means if a child runs away multiple times in a year, each instance will be entered into the NCIC separately and counted in the yearly total. Likewise, if an entry is withdrawn and amended or updated, there's a new entry based on it. Okay. So one kid who's having problems at home and runs away 15 times can create a hundred reports. Yeah. Based on all the different things. So, First of all, this 800,000 number, which is the one that's most quoted by QAnon almost on a daily basis. You see it all the time. Yeah. It's just not a real number. Yeah. Um, when you break down the um, the NCIC reporting around that 800,000 number, they they break it down into like where what different kind of crime it is, what different thing. And out of those, there were 115 out of 800,000 stranger abduction cases, meaning the child was taken by an unknown person. So from 800,000 reports, 115 were a stranger abduction, which is crazy. Yeah. Really low compared to the number because you assume that means 800,000 individual children were abducted by strangers or whatever and are like in Guatemala now yeah. being human shipped or something. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, sadly, that's what the QAnon people would have you believe. They, they yeah. use that as a hook to bring people in and people fall for it. I mean, you see, we'll talk about this in the next episode, but there's a whole like save the children movement, which is 
basically a QAnon recruitment campaign that people have disguised. And it's bringing in a lot of suburban mothers and all these other people who just like poor Edgar are like, we're saving the children, but as soon as they get involved, it's all Hillary eating faces, you know, and it's, yeah, you're probably disappointing for them too. Yeah. And that's the thing about most of this kind of data that's out there yeah. is it's skewed in one way or another. And mm-hmm. you have to, you can't take that raw data point, you know, when they come out and say it's um, X number of children reported missing every year or X number of, I don't know, guns is always a big one, right? And right. That's, and that's a number that doesn't mean anything until you break it down, right? When they say Absolutely. X number of uh, violent crimes with guns or whatever. Right. That number doesn't mean anything until you break it down into yeah. what specifically are we talking about. Yeah, because they know? used to loop a lot of suicides in with that, didn't they? Yeah, it's like yeah. when you talk about the number of gun deaths per year, a vast majority of them are suicide. Mm-hmm. And even if you and even if you extrapolate that out to suicides on a whole, the number of suicides committed by gun are low. Right. In the amount of suicide. So it's like you have to put right, context right. around the data to understand yeah. what is it really we're talking about. Yeah, with everything. And I mean, and that's that's one thing I like that we do in the show is actually give a little context to these things, you know, sure, because yeah. a lot of people they don't understand it. They see eight hundred thousand kids kidnapped every year. Oh my God, eight hundred thousand. That's a business. That's like a whole enterprise. Yeah. You know, they have to have pipelines and moving it. And that's why it's easy to take a number like 800,000 and turn it into another one of my favorite QAnon myths that kind of happened was there were patriots walking up and down the Arizona border looking for child trafficking camps. And so these guys are out there with their AR-15s walking along. And one of the things that they stumbled across was what they called a child trafficking camp. And what it really turned out to be was a place where uh, immigrants that were crossing the border rested. You know, where they they would jump the border, break through, illegally enter the country. And then there was this spot that other people who illegally entered the country created so that they would have a place to rest out of the sight of, you know, police and border patrol. Yeah. They would have water set up in there and all these things. And like there were some clothes and all that stuff. And they had found one or two things that were kid related. You know, they found a couple dolls which you would fully expect to see in a kind of situation where it was a border crossing. And instead, what they did was they looked across the street behind the place and they found a, there was a, a, a chemical, not a chemical, a concrete processing plant owned by the company Semex, which is a Mexican company. Yeah. And so what they decided was actually this was where the Democrats would ship children across the border through this concrete plant because they were able to manufacture that. And then they would store the kids in this grove of trees instead of, I don't know, a shipping container or a hotel or anything else that you could (laughs) possibly use. Something that made way more sense. Right, exactly. And so it turned into such a big thing that this guy who was part of the Patriot Patrol, he raided the, the concrete plant and climbed up a tower and occupied it with his rifle until the truth came out. And I mean, it's such a vague thing of like the truth coming out. I mean, the response was pretty obvious. The police showed up and they said they were going to shoot him if he didn't come down. Yeah. (laughs) And he got dragged out of this tower 
And he became a hero to the QAnon community because he stood his ground and found the truth. And because the cops came out to try to arrest him, he must have uncovered the secret there. Right. And that was literally the end of it, that nothing else happened in that entire situation. The guy went to prison. He ended up getting like mental health treatment and kind of went back into the community and never said anything. Meanwhile, everybody just assumes because the guy vanished, he probably got offed and they were probably right about the whole thing. And so that little piece of the mythos became like an ongoing truth statement in the community. Yeah. So then after we've kind of laid out the history, let's talk about the actual rise of QAnon. Uh, QAnon started when a person who had dubbed themselves a Q clearance patriot first appeared on the poll board over on 4chan, and that was in October 28th, 2017, posting in a thread called the Calm Before the Storm, which was a uh, a reference to Trump's kind of cryptic description of a gathering of U.S. military leaders he had at the White House, and somebody had asked him, what is the significance of all the generals meeting right now? And he said, oh, it's probably the calm before the storm. And one of the reporters asked what that means, and he kind of gave a nod a nod and a wink and said, oh, you'll find out. And of course, we didn't. Nothing happened. Nobody yeah. found anything. And <laughs> Nobody found anything out. <laughs> and so because he said the calm before the storm, the storm became QAnon uh, parlance for an imminent event in which thousands of alleged suspects will be arrested, imprisoned, and executed for being child-eating pedophiles. But as we've seen since October 28th, 2017, this never happened. This never emerged, you know. Right. Although a lot of um, QAnon followers will still to this day say that things like um, Obama was replaced with a clone and he was actually executed and Hillary was is in Gitmo, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of up to each individual persons to figure that out. The username of Q uh, comes from a clearance rating at the uh, United States Department of Energy. And it's considered that one of the higher clearance ratings that you need for top secret documents to gain access to those. The internet community soon developed around interpreting and analyzing these posts attributed to Q. And among these conspiracy theorists, several individuals became minor celebrities within the within that whole community. So according to a Reuters report, Russian-backed Twitter accounts were playing a role in propagating QAnon very early, as early as November of 2017. It looked like they kind of latched onto this idea and saw that it was getting momentum. And they had bots promoting it and running it all around um, 4chan and 8chan. Uh, by November of 2017, that same year, these three individuals named Paul Ferber, Coleman Rogers, and Tracy Diaz, uh, two of which were 4chan moderators, and Tracy Diaz was a well-known YouTuber in the conspiracy community. They worked together as a team to really start promoting QAnon to a wider audience. And most people think that they were some of their early steam behind it and even think that they could have been crafting a lot of these earliest drops from QAnon. The uh, three built this Reddit community that became wildly influential and really let people who were outside of 4chan and 8chan to be able to consume Q in a way that wasn't as difficult as getting on these boards because a lot of older people have a hard time getting on 4chan, 8chan. And one of the big things that kind of kept QAnon moving in the early days was keeping people away from 4chan and 8chan because if 
you actually go to 4chan or 8chan and now uh, 8chan is called 8kun, you quickly realize there's a lot of like CD pornography on there, sketchy stuff, really horrible stuff, lots and lots of anti-Semitism and lots of just other horrible things. Yeah. And, and so if a random person who they're trying to kind of pill onto QAnon, if they just walk into that and they see drawings of, you know, little Japanese girls and tentacle monsters, it's going to turn them off to the whole movement. Right. So by pulling it all into Reddit and making a really popular community there, they were able to kind of make a walled garden. And one of the ongoing kind of memes on the Reddit community was telling people not to go to, to those places. And they called the um, they called the people that worked there like the autists because they were the person like gathering the drops and making sense of it. From there, QAnon just kind of blew up across all social media and was was really just catching on fire and being picked up. It received a lot of mainstream press in December of 2017 and in early of 2018. And it really took off when Sean Hannity and Roseanne Barr uh, from the TV show Roseanne started retweeting and spreading news about QAnon to all of their social media followers. InfoWars host and far-right conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, who we talked to before, claimed to be in personal contact with Q during all that time. Uh, the presence of QAnon adherents at a July 2018 Trump rally for the midterm elections in Tampa was when it was actually taken to the mainstream and a lot of people really started seeing about it. And that's when everybody from like CNN, BBC started doing stories on who is Q, what is Q. And that's where it just exploded in the mainstream and people were following it. If you look at from 2018 to today, there was a long string of people just following along with the movement, building up steam, building up steam towards the election. And then as it started getting towards the election, Q kind of vanished, started dropping off, not being as involved. And it kind of petered out to the point where uh, Q hasn't made a drop since I think December 18th or something along those lines. But of what? 2020? 2020. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so since then, it while there's no kind of source material still coming out, yeah, the crowds are still building up and really having interest in that. So in February 2021, uh, a poll by the American Enterprise Institute found that 29% of Republicans believe the central claim of QAnon that Donald Trump has been secretly fighting a group of child sex traffickers that include prominent Democrats and Hollywood elites is true. So even though there hasn't been a post in a while and it's kind of petered out and it's been years and literally nothing that gets brought up at all has ever come true, there's still a solid 30% who are 100% behind it. Yeah. Which is well, crazy. 30% of just of Republicans. That's not. Yeah. 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 Everybody else. People, too, yeah. 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 Today, while pretty much all of QAnon content is banned from mainstream social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, basically they have kicked out anyone who has been a Q influencer. The beliefs are as strong as ever and have gone almost entirely underground where they're being even more radicalized. Most of the places that QAnon folks are now calling home are just incubators for anti-Semitism and hate, but it's also showing up in weird places. 
a few days ago, Trump spoke at CPAC and ran off a couple of basic QAnon talking points, even though he's been banned from Twitter for months now. And the sad fact that is while these people have connected in their hate for Democrats and the elites, they're just lonelier than ever. When you break down, you look at a lot of the social media of people putting these things out, you see a complete turn on their family aren't talking to them. They don't know what they're doing in their lives. They believe this overall gigantic storm of horror is coming for them and they're not moving forward anymore. They're just waiting for that. So next week we're going to dig into what's going on inside the brains of people who believe that kind of stuff uh, and why they would just throw away every relationship that they have in their life to promote and follow this one belief. Yeah. 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 Like it's crazy. I've even seen people on my Facebook basically go off of the deep end, you know, yeah. grab their children, run away from their families, like crazy shit. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like, same. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And these are people who are like posting Q shit every day. Yeah. It's, there's, um, there's a trend where you can see, and they've done, they've done this kind of forensic exploration of people's history on social media. Yeah. Where they'll look at when they first get involved with something like QAnon and they can trace back exactly how it happened. You know, and one of the big things from 2017 to 2020 was you could start watching a YouTube video from somebody like Jordan Peterson, and then within two steps, the recommendation engine would have you down a QAnon rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this like episode one or two. I think we did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll get into all that stuff. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us this week. We will be back again next week for the second half of our two-parter about QAnon, where we will be talking about the mental health side effects of QAnon. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind-the-scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash Podcast For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brew Illuminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will because, again, mind control is real. Thank you.